Welcome to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the ever-evolving world of rec tech and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. We are an award-winning rec tech provider specialized in corporate client onboarding, KYC, and anti-money laundering process digitization. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Andrew Chang as my guest. Andrew Chang is the Executive Director and Chief Technology Officer at TradeLink, a leading provider of advanced biometric authentication and eKYC solutions in Hong Kong. Andrew is also the CEO of DigiSign, which is a provider of security solutions and services supporting electronic transactions and applications. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me, Klaus. What is your background, Andrew? What made you choose the digital identity and rec tech space as your area? Why I choose digital identity? Actually, I didn't choose it. I think you choose me. It's the other way around. It just happened that I was I was exploring what sorts of market developments over there. And that was back in the good old days when there was the booming of the internet. People start talking about using the web as a channel to conduct business one way or the others. And when people are talking about the channel, they realize that as a new channel, there's risks associated with it. There are things that we are not aware of. There are what we call digital fifth. And there's a, always, always that famous saying, you know, uh, in the internet, you don't even know whether you're talking to a person or talking to a dog. You need to be of that age before you know that phrases. And it just all things come together. I got myself into a small Australian company working on digital certificates. I moved on a long time path since and gradually extending the scope to what you just mentioned, like biometrics, digital onboarding, or the like. But still along the same line, it's all about digital identity, established trust and security over the web channel, or over the digital channel. Can you tell us more about TradeLink and its role in the Hong Kong e-commerce and identity management ecosystem? I think trailing may not be a name that well known. We, we tend to be very low profile because originally trailing is actually a company established by some of the key financial players like big banks, traders, and so forth to establish a platform to facilitate people in Hong Kong to advance in doing e-trade. When we say e-trade, I'm not talking about stock trading. I'm talking about the traditional trading using the electronic channels. That was back into the day of 1988. And I think halfway through in the, in the early 90s, the government seems this is an essential move. So that actually the Hong Kong government became the largest shareholders of trailings from 1992. Um, they took about 46% of our shares and they basically controlled the whole company. Now for the first 10 years of the trailing development, there's only one purpose of that company is to derive a platform to facilitate information exchange between traders in Hong Kong and the Hong Kong government. When I say traders, I mean anyone who need to do export, import in and out of Hong Kong, because traditionally one of the four pillars of Hong Kong is on trading. So we're talking about traders, be it a seller, buyers, manufacturers, forwarder, carriers, or the like. So in, in the traditional way to do things, they need to submit a lot of paperwork to the Hong Kong customs. Uh, census department, um, the other government department, and all need to be done in, in physical form. So they have to prepare the paper, go and queue up the counter, submit it. So the government as well as the industry see, hey, with the advance of the internet, can we do better than that? Can we all make all this to be digitalized? 
So this is why the the whole and the sole purposes of trading is to establish that platform to allow the electronic exchange of information between the stakeholders that I just talked about. And you talk about identity management. Over the internet, really how to prove the identity of a particular person or company is not such an obvious task in that day. It's been 30 years ago, right? So the government together with trading, we study and we look at what is around the world, what kind of technology that we can make use of to facilitate that, to make sure that all the documents submitted is really originate from that particular person. And after they submit the information, they cannot deny it. Um, so in a way, we are looking for some sort of proof over the electronic world. So they want to look for digital solutions to go along with the trading platform such that all the information being submitted at the end of the day will become legally bounded. Or to the, to the extreme, that information can be used to present in front of the court as a piece of evidence. So this is how, how we begin the journey. And this is how things evolve from that, that point onwards. That is amazing. Andrew, I just realized that TradeLink has been ragtag since 1988. <laughs> and I thought we were early. Like we started in 2015. And we didn't actually immediately call ourselves a, a ragtag company. We started calling ourselves a fintech company. Rectech as a term wasn't really established in the first couple of years while we were operating, but came on stream 2017, 18 more. Actually, TradeLink has been that, has been in the field since a lot longer. It is amazing. I think it was driven by the industry because we see the inefficiency of the way of operations where we find to we try to find a better way to do it. And during the course of the endeavor, then we realized that by introducing the new way of doing things, there actually risk new risk being emerged as well. So we try to look at the problem, trying to resolve it, and then see if there's any new problem arise and trying to you know do it one step at a time. And I think, I won't say we are doing the red is it's still the government driven us. We are just the service provider to, to actually execute it. I think there's a lot of visionaries within the government back then because one thing that I find it very amazing is back in the day when we first have our services, one thing they did immediately is they actually amend the law in Hong Kong for the import and the export ordinance to allow the use of the electronic channels to submit data with the full legal effect to protect all the stakeholders. So that needs to go in conjunction with all this rather than just having a technical solution without the legal backing or the like, we, we won't have what we have today. I'd say it's no surprise that Hong Kong is so advanced in that. When I came to Hong Kong, I think 2006 or so for the first time, and I took the taxi. In the taxi, it is so obvious um, that trade is at the, the beginning and heart of Hong Kong. If you cross the bridges and see these giant number of ships and uh, containers and with this very large container port. And I, I knew about container ports from, from my early youth, actually, because I grew up in Hamburg in Germany. And Hamburg is the second biggest port of Germany, one of the, the biggest na trading nations in, in Europe. Uh, so I, I was used to to big ports, but Hong Kong, obviously, is a lot bigger. And uh, that the, the government would be um, on the job of making that efficient and uh, putting a technology solution in place here is extremely smart. That is that is very visionary. 
Andrew, over the years, like why regulators' attention and understanding of RegTech has changed, how do you see TradeLink's side has changed there as well? So we retain our core business, still providing services between the traders and the government. But on the side, we are saying that technology that we use ourselves can also be beneficial to the other industry in Hong Kong, especially the finance industry. So we are what we're doing is we shift our focus of trying to provide service and solutions to the other industry, leveraging what we have learned, both the good and bad things, such that they can fully enjoy what you know the today at one uh, environment can provide to them. So this is this is how we do it. Excellent. And that uh, gets me neatly to the next question, actually, since you are now providing services to the financial sector as well. How do you see the Hong Kong financial sector's attitudes changing towards digital onboarding and remote verification, which is at the heart of your ID solution as well over the past years or maybe decade? Yeah, it was less than a decade for sure. If I look back, it's probably like the last six years or so. This is all we, what, what really happening. I mean, I still remember before that day, we, we are providing like digital certificates, OTP tokens to most, most, a lot of the banks or financial industry in Hong Kong for, for the authentication business, remote authentications. And that was not that long ago, like six years ago. Uh, we start looking into, we're seeing banks saying, hey, why don't we look at biometrics? And I still remember that day, um, I got a call from the regulator saying, are you sure? Do, do you, do we really want to allow the use of biometric in Hong Kong? Is it a good idea? We have so many bad things about it. And what, what we did is honestly, we, we actually do a quick study on that and we actually present a paper to the regulators and saying, um, issue associated with the biometric potential of the biometrics. And this is how all the whole journey started from the regular paper, paper point of view. They also go through that psychologically from the stage of skeptical to fully appreciate this is the way it is and um, appreciate what this kind of things can help. Of course, at the same time, they are so aware that just like what I said before, with any piece of new development or new technologies, potentially there's always new risks being associated. So I think both the regulator and ourselves, we've gone through that journey on an ongoing basis to see how we can make the best of the technology into the market. At the same time, make sure that if there's any new risk being arisen or detected, how can we mitigate it? So this is how we start the journey on the, um, in particular on the authentications. Digital onboarding is a different story. Digital onboarding, we start about four years ago, if I'm not wrong. I still remember that um, I was called by an overseas bank saying that, um, hey, we want to explore the possibility of digital onboarding. And um, the question was, why? And there's a good reason for that bank to do that because the property price in Hong Kong is so expensive and renting a shop for the banks is not cheap. So they're saying that, hey, I cannot compete with all the big name or the big payer in, in, the, in Hong Kong. And they, they have 200 branches. How can I have 200 branches on that? And for me to recruit, then I need to look at different channels. And hey, can you help us to look at the digital channel? And to be actually honest with you, the first answer I give them is saying, no, cannot do. Now, how can you push someone's identity in front of a mobile devices? It's not safe. It's not the same level of security. Of course, um, I have to prove myself wrong on that, but this is how the whole, whole journey started. And I still remember when we start, really start doing that, I talked to some of the local bands and they say, don't be silly. Why should I spend money on that? Why I already have, again, 200 branches on the streets. 
You know, if people want to open a car, they come to us. As simple as that. No point. There's no way I'm going to give you that money. Well, go away. So this is what I heard from them. But things really change, especially in Hong Kong, as part of the initiative from the regulators. So you see the rise of a lot of newcomers, such as virtual banks, store value facilitators. They cannot compete with the traditional base in the traditional way. So they have to make use of the digital channels to the full extent. And that really provide the breeding ground of what we are doing today on both the digital onboarding as well as the, the remote authentication sort of like. Very interesting. The the point in time that you mentioned, uh, I just thought, wasn't that around the time when the iPhone 4 came out with the biometric sensor? Do you think that was an influence on the government that they thought, oh yeah, look, uh, the, the technology is now so advanced that we can actually authenticate ourselves? No, no, not by chance. I think I think you you are absolutely right. Timing is important, really. I, I think that's that's been proven over time and time. Like a lot of good ideas happened ten or twenty years ago, but it really didn't come to reality till now because you really need to have all the components there at the right time at the right places. I still remember back in the old days uh, when I was doing digital certificates uh, for the government. We talk about using smart card, putting your fingerprint in the smart card, and then you have to have a you know, like 2,000 US dollars fingerprint readers being connected to your notebook such that you can slot in your smart card and then put your fingerprint to do a digital signature. Uh, well, set aside the price, it took like solid 30 seconds to get any response out of that. So technology has advanced and both in terms of the performance as well as the form factor, the usability. And I think quite rightly, uh, I think it's more to the iPhone 5-ish then people realize that, that we, we have a very good devices. And and good thing is with the competitions, Android really pick up. Uh, whether it's because of Samsung or this other big name, they're really picking up and trying to go beyond what Apple is doing. And then all of the sudden, authentications, biometric authentication becomes such a personal thing. You don't need to have a kiosk or any dedicated hardware to do it. Now, um, however, I want to say on the same token, while having this kind of devices or environment, give us a lot of opportunities. It, at the same time, can also provide or it can generate some other risks as well. Because now I'm using my own devices, which is not under the control of the service provider. So they have no idea how I'm using it. Is my phone clean? I see it in JB or the like. Is there anything malware? Am I doing it under gunpoint? When we start doing the digital onboarding, when we start talking to the regulator, I think one question I got asked is that, hey, Andrew, your solution is all based on, or any solution out there saying, the people are looking at the mobile phone, taking a picture of their document, all well and fine. How can you be sure that there's no guys standing outside of the frame, having a gun pointing at that guy's head and force him to do the onboarding or the authentications? And uh, I was actually asked by the regulator, can you help to do a motion det emotion detections? And find out whether the guy is scared or upset of the like. And uh, we always joke about that and say, well, if if my daughter is asking me to do some transfer, I may be really upset and I may give her that look. And that may actually trigger the system to bot that because of my emotion being unstable. That is funny. You're absolutely right. It could be very dangerous and could backfire very, very fast. Andrew, you have become an expert working with the authorities in Hong Kong to even define the very tests and performance criteria for digital means of ID verifications over the years. Um, what kind of problems or 
common or maybe not so common faking techniques did you come across in that role? When you're dealing with the hackers or the bad guys in the market, I must give them that one is they really think outside of the box when they try to do something funny. For all the digital onboarding and things like that, it's great, right? You verify the identity, you took a selfie or the like, you make sure it's, it's really that person doing the applications. But one thing that is outside of scope or from a technical point of view that I cannot address or nobody can really address right now is if that guy or that applicant is actually selling his identity to some triad or to some bad guys. And that actually happens. We see that some syndicate are actually recruiting people in the street to use their ID card, to use their face to do a onboarding, which is all genuine. All right. However, once they've done the onboarding, they hand over the devices to the syndicate. And that becomes a zombie account. Now, that may not be something that can 100% address by the technology. That's got to do with the mindset of that. Again, as a normal person or as a person that try to stay within the law, this is it's never come to my mind that I'm going to sell my identity to make $5,000 or the like. But people are doing it. We actually see some cases that a person will try to open as many accounts as possible with different banks or different financial institutes. And some of them are sticking photographs onto the ID card, making change on the names and trying to fool the systems. Uh, one thing they didn't realize is as soon as they start doing that, that is all recorded into the systems. That becomes the evidence. And the banks actually have the, or the financial institute, they have the obligation to report that to the authorities and the law enforcement as well. So in a way, we are helping to flushing out the bad guys. Very cool. Very cool. Great, Andrew. Uh, last question. I ask what, uh, all my guests. So if tomorrow you woke up and somehow you had become the global financial regulator, what would the first thing be that you would change? As a payer in the area of you know, identity verifications, one of the challenges we have is there's no global solution as such. It's all very much localized to meet the local requirements or to fulfill the local local um, situation. So, I mean, if I am in that position, so in that shoes, I would love to see uh, some sort of global standard such that, you know, people from elsewhere can easily enjoy the services in Hong Kong for the digital onboarding channel. And why see versa, we can extend our services to anywhere in the world. So to truly facilitate global transaction in that sense. So this is one thing I want to, to see. And secondly, I think this is something I, I learned, I think I kind of in on that. Is um I think from a global level, or even in the case of Hong Kong or for the for the financial institutes or the regulators, um, to compact digital thought, we really should work together as a team. So there should be mechanism to share information more. Some of the bad guys or some of the people, they are, they are opening multiple accounts. They are going to different banks to open account. I mean, if, if the banks, for example, they can share such information among the banks or through the regulators saying, hey, we start building up a, a profile or backlist of you know, people known to be a syndicate or trying to do anything stupid. If you can put that together and share among the the group of people, or if I can look at it from a global scale, um, it's just like a bit like the Interpol, right? They have the bad list of the most wanted. So if you can start looking into that and start sharing information, uh, I think this is on the personal level as well as on the company level. Um, this kind of information, that will help us um, in totality to make a really robust and better solutions to everybody and reduce the risk dramatically. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Rec Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning RecTech provider, Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode, please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit knowyourcustomer.com slash rectalks.